told you many stories about my friend Nancy from seminary. Well, Nancy is a huge Kevin Spacey fan. It's been rumored that at one point she even had a life-sized poster of the actor, although I can't vouch for the validity of that claim. But I do know that he's at the top of her list of people she'd like to spend an afternoon with. So you can imagine Nancy's excitement when another friend of hers invited her to spend a day hanging out at the mall and catching a movie with Kevin Spacey. Truth be told, there would actually be a group of people spending the afternoon with Kevin Spacey, maybe five or six, but that was still good enough for my friend Nancy because it would still be something to brag about and something that made her feel important. I mean, how many people get to say they've spent the day with Kevin Spacey? As the day came closer, Nancy's excitement grew. She kept having these images of them all walking through the mall, security surrounding them as the crowd of onlookers became increasingly large and agitated. She imagined high-pitched screams of women and people pleading for autographs. And Nancy, she imagined, would look at them with the smile that said, yeah, I'm hanging out with Kevin Spacey. But when they got to the mall that day, it was an incredible letdown. Instead of being mobbed by Kevin Spacey fans, they ended up just looking like typical middle-aged women walking around with a guy in old jeans and a baseball cap. (laughs) No one in the mall or movie theater realized it was Kevin Spacey. There was no crowd, no jealous glances, no sign of recognition at all. Nancy had the urge to yell, Hey, look, I'm with Kevin Spacey. Because what's the point of spending the day with a movie star if nobody knows you're doing it? Well, after this experience, my friend Nancy said she developed real empathy for the disciples and those who come into contact with Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Because if there's one thing worse than spending a day with Kevin Spacey and no one knowing about it, it's hanging out with the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, and not being able to tell folks about it. Several times in the Gospel of Mark, we hear Jesus order the people around him not to tell others who he is or what he's done. From the leper Jesus cleanses in the first chapter of Mark, to the unclean spirits that proclaim him the Son of God in the third chapter, to the people privileged to be there when Jesus resuscitates Jairus' daughter, to the disciples after Peter finally declares that Jesus is the Messiah. All these people are told to be silent about what they've seen and know. And we see it in today's Gospel reading as well. Jesus is traveling through Tyre, an area northwest of Galilee that was mostly Gentile. And it seems he was desperately in need of a little peace and quiet, a little R&R time. But it doesn't happen. First, the Syrophoenician woman interrupts his attempts at solitude. And then people in the region of the Decapolis come bringing a man who can't hear and who has trouble speaking. While he heals the woman's daughter from a distance, the healing for the man is more hands-on. After what seems contrary to all medicinal standards of hygiene and sanitation, the ears of the man are opened, his tongue is released, and he can speak. And although I do think these two stories definitely have something to say about the inclusion of the Gentiles in both Jesus' mission and the mission of the early church, I want to focus this morning on Jesus' command that those who witness the healing of the deaf and mute man not tell anyone what's happened. 
Now, we don't know exactly why it is that Jesus makes this command in Mark. Its presence in this gospel has come to be known as the Messianic secret. Some scholars claim that the Messianic secret was a way for the gospel writer to explain why Jesus wasn't more widely seen as the Messiah until later, after his death. Others understand the Messianic secret as indicative of the apocalyptic nature of the Jesus movement. In other words, it was in keeping with the idea that all would be revealed at the right time. But maybe the most compelling reason Jesus might have given this command to those around him is that if people knew he was the Messiah, there would always be the risk that his Messiahship would be misinterpreted. See, the proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah doesn't really tell us what it means to be the Messiah. It will take the cross and the resurrection to show us that. So until those around Jesus see the end of the story, there's the risk that they'll see the Messiah merely as a miracle worker or a military leader or a political revolutionary. Maybe that's why Jesus says to be silent about these miracles. Maybe these miracles can only be fully understood in light of the cross and resurrection in light of God's greater plan of redemption and deliverance, in light of a love that is more powerful than anything, even death. But whether or not the characters in Mark's gospel understand exactly who Jesus is or what it means to be the Messiah, they at least seem to know that something big is going on. There's an urgency in these stories that is striking to me. No matter what Jesus tries to do to hide both himself and his identity, Mark tells us that when he comes to Tyre, quote, he could not escape notice. As soon as he enters a house, the Syrophoenician woman hears about him and comes right to him. No hesitating because she's a woman. No reluctance because she's a Gentile. Instead, she begs him to heal her daughter and ends up getting the best of him in the conversation that ensues. And then there are these friends of the deaf man who come bringing this man to Jesus because somehow they just know that he's the one who can change this man's life. And they beg Jesus to heal him. Jesus pulls them away from the crowd to privately heal the man and then commands them to tell no one. But it's all wasted breath. Because the more he commands them to be silent, the more the words flow from their lips. The persistence of the crowds, the demands people make of Jesus, the faith even those and maybe even especially those of Gentile origin have, the praise that involuntarily rises up. In Mark, it's as if a movement has been unleashed and its momentum can't be stopped no matter what. Well, I can't help but compare what we see in the Gospel of Mark to what it is like for us in the church today. Do we have the same urgency as those who met Jesus in Mark's gospel? Some 2,000 years later, do we have that same inability to keep silent? Are we so excited about who God is and what God has done that we can't help but share it with everyone we see? I think for many of us it is all too easy to constrain ourselves, to say and to do little or nothing, The term evangelism has taken on tons of baggage. It's come to be associated with judgment, with fundamentalism, with exclusivity, with an all-talk-but-no-action way of being. 
And so we keep quiet about the God we've come to know in an attempt to distance ourselves from all the pitfalls that we fear go hand in hand with evangelism. So maybe that's why we don't have the same urgency that they had in Mark's Gospel. Or maybe we've simply come to think that we have all the time in the world to help bring about the kingdom of God, that there is no urgency. But try telling that to the woman in today's Gospel reading whose daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit, or to the man who couldn't hear or speak. Try telling that there's no rush to the mother whose child will go without dinner tonight, or to Syrian refugees who flee the fighting in their hometowns, or to the parents who have lost their children to gun violence, or to the man with a toothache but no dental insurance and no job, or to the people all around us who are discouraged and need a word of hope. Why are we under the impression that things are any less urgent or pressing today than they were in the lifetime of Jesus? Why do we think that the world needs good news any less now than it did then? I don't know. But if we're able to see the world around us and not feel a sense of urgency, if we're immune to the sound of those begging for help and so we speak nothing and do nothing in return, well then maybe we're in need of healing as well. Maybe we too need to have our ears unstopped and our tongues loosened. After all, really. How can we be any less excited to share the love of God than my friend Nancy was to let everyone know she spent the day with Kevin Spacey?